Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 323. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Trauma Therapist Network. Trauma Therapist Network is a platform for finding a trauma therapist, learning about trauma, and understanding about how trauma shows up in our lives and what the healing process can look like. Go to www.traumatherapistnetwork.com to learn more. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there... Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Regan, and today I'm so excited to be speaking with someone who here in my area in Maryland is a well-known leader, teacher, and therapist. And I hope that our conversation will help their message reach a wider audience. My guest today is Tavi Hahn. Tavi Hahn is a Southern lover of books, music, dance, a dog named Scully, a cat named Lionel, a spider-loving scientist, and a baby named Waya, which means wolf. Tavi is a multiracial, two-spirit person who currently is the founder of a group therapy and consulting practice in Maryland as well as serving as faculty on the Indian Country Paths Remembered ECHO Project and as a therapist with Native American Lifelines. In the past, Tavi was co-founder of a multiracial LGBTQ plus holistic wellness collaborative in North Carolina and co-founder of a nonprofit summer camp for queer and trans youth and youth of queer and trans parents. They've written two books, Cultural Awareness and Therapy with Trans, Two-Spirit and Gender Nonconforming Adults and Older People, and their recent book that just went on sale in January 2022 is The Gender Identity Guide for Parents, 
compassionate advice to help your child be their most authentic self. Tavi holds master's degrees in theological studies and social work, but their best education has been life experience and learning under elders, trans and two-spirit healers, and transformative justice movement workers. Tavi provides consulting and training services to organizations and individuals on a variety of topics and hopes that this leads to more affirming environments everywhere for their community members. I am very honored to be speaking with Tavi today. I know that gender identity exploration is something that many parents are contacting my practice, looking for how to support their child with. And I know that this is becoming more and more of a norm for parents to hear from their child some kind of message that lets them know their child is questioning whether the gender assigned to them at birth matches their internal life. And so I think this book is much needed and I've read it and it's very, it's very compassionate. It's very helpful. It's very clear and straightforward, gentle and supportive to the parents and the child. So I highly recommend Tavi's book and we'll talk a lot more about the book and Tavi's work in our conversation. So let's just dive right in. I'm so excited to be interviewing today, Tavi Hahn. Tavi, thank you so much for being my guest today on Therapy Chat. I'm really excited to be here. This is going to be a fun conversation today. So thanks for inviting me. You're so welcome. And I've really wanted to talk to you for a long time. It's kind of ironic that we work like 45 minutes apart. And, you know, the first time that we actually meet is through you being a guest on the podcast, (laughs) but I'm glad it kind of gave me a reason to make the time to get to know a little bit more about you because I've heard so much about your work and I really have been admiring you from afar for a long time. So that's sweet. Make me blush over here. I well, I do mean that. And um, so let's just start off our conversation by you telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. My name is Tavi Han, and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I've been working in the field for probably around 15 years now. I have a group therapy and training practice that I founded in Maryland, and I also work at Native American Lifelines as a contract therapist and trainer. I'm on the faculty of the Trans and Gender Affirming Care ECHO, which is an ECHO across Indian country to make sure that providers who are working in Indian health centers with Indigenous folks have the support that they need to work with our two spirits, queer people. And let's see, a while back, I co-founded a summer camp for queer and trans youth and youth of queer and trans families in North Carolina, uh, which is where I'm from. And I am a newish parent to a toddler, 17 months. So I'm on that journey. (laughs) Thank you. I guess, you know, I'm somebody who has been on my own journey to understand my gender since I was a kid. And that has really been a lifelong process for me. I'm 43 now and, you know, in recent years have taken different medical gender affirming processes for myself. That makes sense for me now. But I also share a story about, I think I was like three and it's my first memory of going trick-or-treating at Halloween. And I told my parents, 
I want to be a, I want to be a man for Halloween. And they said, okay, which is kind of surprising to me given their beliefs and stuff, but they did. So I had this little t-shirt that was made to look like a tuxedo. And um, I wore like that, a little hat, some glasses, some black pants. And I thought I was looking so good. I was so excited, so proud. And I was going around to the houses trick-or-treating. And then I realized people were asking me, like I was supposed to be a specific man. They were asking me, who are you? Like, what man are you? And I was like, oh, (laughs) I'm not supposed to be just a man. And so the first thing that came out of my mouth was Mr. Baloney Head. (laughs) And so that's what I went around telling people that I was. But I think about that story a lot now because I was three. I didn't have any representations around me showing me different gender expressions, identities, anything. But I feel like that was one of the earliest times I think I was trying to express another side of myself and my identity in the way that I knew how. Um, And that was an avenue that I could do it, you know, in that moment. Yeah. And I'm pretty struck by how you were like, I look good. Like you were like, <laughs> oh yeah, feeling, yeah. This mm-hmm. now I've got now I got something that feels uh-huh. the the right fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that I have a question for you about. Well, let me. I'm going to be all over the place. Let me start by saying I'm from Virginia. Where are you from in mm-hmm. North Carolina, if I may ask? Well, I was born about an hour from Kuala Boundary, which is where a lot of my ancestors are from. So in Western North Carolina, in the mountains. Okay. And I lived in, we moved around a lot. So I lived in a lot of small rural towns around North Carolina and then South Carolina. So yeah. yeah. So not really places that are known for a lot of acceptance of queer, trans, Mm-mm. you know, people. So I can imagine that that must have been pretty challenging because I'm 50 and I grew up in Virginia mm-hmm. and, you know, even little little bit more progressive than a lot of places Norfolk where I'm from which is in southeastern Virginia close mm-hmm. to North Carolina not northern mm-hmm. Virginia what everybody from our area up here uh-huh. in Maryland thinks you know it's not it's not the most it's pretty traditional and old-fashioned so mm-hmm. that context just helps me understand a little more about who you are but so a question that comes to mind is with this book written for, well, it sounds like it's written for parents whose children are letting them know that they don't identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth. Well, you know, the book is called The Gender Identity Guide for Parents. I kind of wish it maybe had a different title because I feel like it's really for all parents and all people Mm -hmm. that are helping raise kids. Mm -hmm. So that could be aunties, uncles, cousins, neighbors, childcare workers, coaches, all the people that it takes to raise a kid, right? Teachers, therapists. Teachers, therapists, anybody who is working with kids and also their parents or foster parents, whoever they're living with, the people supporting those people, that's really who the book is for. Because it it's really talking about how do we all shift the ways that we've been socialized and taught to think about gender? How do we shift within ourselves things that we might be replicating or modeling without even realizing it that keep kids feeling like it's hard to communicate who they are or that they don't even have the language because they're not able to to see and have relationships with people of different identities or different expressions. 
So that's why I say it's really for a lot of adults that have to do that are coming together to help take care of kids. Wonderful. And I know it will help so many, as I've already said to you, what I'm noticing in my practice, we have, we work with children and adults and we are, I'd say over the past probably four years, we've been getting a lot more calls from parents who are saying my anywhere from seven to 12 generally is what we're hearing from people. My child, my daughter is saying she's a boy and I don't know what to do. And I think, you know, and I'm seeing when I see therapists looking for referrals, people who they're trying to refer a client to, there's a lot more of families who are hearing something like this from their child and and not really knowing what to do. So I love the compassionate way that your book talks to parents or the adults in a given child's life. What, what do you think are the most important things that the adults in a child's life who's trying to express this to their, the trusted adults in their life, what do you think the most important things are for them to do? I think, you know, one of the first things I talk with families about is just, it's going to be okay. Because a lot of times when people are first reaching out to a therapist, there's a lot of anxiety going on. People are worried, nervous, confused, don't know what this means. And so just making sure people know, you know what, just breathe. It really will be okay. I'm feeling a sense of relief by hearing that there's more and more kids who are telling this to to their parents or their families or their school counselors, because those kids have always been here. Yes. That many kids have always been here and couldn't tell anybody and didn't have anybody to go to. And so that's another thing I express when when families reach out, you know, for help is it's a really good sign that your kid is feeling comfortable enough to tell you that this is how they're feeling or that y'all have the kind of relationship where you're seeing and noticing things they might be expressing even without words. So I really try to highlight the positive and the strength of that. And then, you know, we can go into figuring out what, what does the family know and not know, you know, what's been their exposure to learning and hearing about these things, what kind of learning can they do so that they feel that they understand more about what's going on? What is the child communicating? And and I really try to help people ground in not assuming that we know what's going on with kids or not putting assumptions onto them that they're not expressing or communicating. And really, honestly, a lot of, I feel like a lot of the work is helping families and caregivers unlearn their own assumptions and belief systems about gender, because those are deeply, deeply ingrained. People start putting assumptions about gender on people before they're even born based on ultrasounds and things like that. And so a lot of times we're not even fully aware of how much the social messaging is really absorbed into us and and affects us in ways we're not even noticing. So trying to help families realize those things so that then they can start to shift in ways that are going to help their kid feel affirmed and also just free to be whoever they are. Yes, I think that was one of the things as I was reading your book that I just felt was really beautiful. 
even beyond gender identity as a parent, like my, my kids are in their early twenties. So it's like expectations that I'm putting on my kids that I don't even realize I am like, you know, well, one could be you'll grow up and get married and have children, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, there's so many assumptions built into that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right. About their gender identity and about their, you know, sexual identity and and who they are and what they want and you know and it's like you're putting that on a little kid when they're like a toddler Mm -hmm. and they never even get a chance to say what they want it's like what you're thinking they're going to do totally and that's something that I talk with families about sometimes too is that I believe it's part of being a parent or being somebody who's raising a kid that part of the process is letting go of your own expectations for that human and I know I'm going to experience this personally you know as I'm guiding and helping support somebody through the world. But at some point, whether it for your kid, it could be about their gender identity. But if it's not that, it's going to be something else. Where as a parent, you have to say, okay, this was really my thing. And that's not what my kid is saying they want for themselves. That's not who my kid is. Maybe it's not what they're capable of. And so I have to let go of that so that I can really show up for my kid. Right. I I think that was like probably the deepest, most poignant lesson that I took away from reading Mm -hmm. was like, this isn't, you know, and this is like so obvious, but it, it was like in inside, it was like, this isn't your kid that you Mm -hmm. made, who's going to be what you want. This is, you did create this person through reproduction, but they're a separate person. (laughs) Yep. They have their own spirit, their own personality. And I think, uh, I'm not sure why, but I don't, I think socially we kind of have this message that we pass on. That's like, yeah, like your kid is a miniature you or something. And that's just not really how they show up. They never thought their own beings. They came out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I like to play. I like to do this. I like to do that. What are you? What are you going? I want you when I want comfort, but I don't want you to like project your unfulfilled <laughs> desires onto my life. Mm-hmm. So let's start off with, I guess, what are some of the things that a child might say that would lead them to would lead an adult to be reading your book? You know, there are a lot of different nuances in the different expressions that we're talking about right now, right? Yeah, there could be a lot of different things. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking I'm thinking back to when I was in my 20s, I did, well, really starting as a teenager, 15 and up, I worked in childcare a lot. And so I'm remembering one family that I worked with, there were a set of, of twin two-year-olds and I worked with them from like age two to four or something like that. And one of them would say, started to say, you know, don't call me this name. I I want you to call me that name. And it was a name that was traditionally, you know, associated with a different gender. And so I I would just go with it and say the name, you know, when Mm -hmm. I was there. And then that that went on for a while. The kid also then slowly started to show other other interest and communicate things like an association with um, the parent that also had the gender that the kid was 
seeming to express things with wanting to wear those clothes, shoes, making, just making comments that kind of seemed like to suggest that they were seeing themselves in their mind as the same as this parent. And then as that would start to happen, the parents would be able to ask questions, to find out more what the child meant, especially as they were getting older. And that family was was supportive and was really just kind of taking things as they went with where the child was saying that they were, which was cool to see and to be part of. So it could mean, it could be about just how that child sees themselves and saying, I'm not this gender. I don't want you to call me that. It could be, you know, I've worked with kids before, young children who really did not like and want a certain body part that they had and and would just talk about it not feeling right or like it was part of themselves. You know, some kids can just clearly communicate, you know, I'm not this, I'm this. You know, some kids will say, you know, I'm not a boy and I'm not a girl. I'm something different. Or I just, I don't want to be called either of those things. I just want to be called me. You know, I'm just me calling my name and nothing else. So some kids will say that. And then, you know, this book is kind of talking more about younger kids, but a lot of times too, we see people in around when puberty starts and puberty changes start to happen. That's another kind of big time where some people will start to have a realization that, wait, these changes don't fit right with how I feel inside about my gender. And then they'll be able to start expressing some of that. They may not know right off the bat what what exactly that means for them, but they can say, I'm feeling really, really, really bad about having a period in ways that I don't think it's different than what some of my peers are feeling about having a period. It's it's just not feeling right for my body. So I think it, it ranges and there's not like a, I think sometimes parents want there to be like a magic phrase that like, okay, if I hear this, <laughs> this means then I'll my know. child is blank. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And so part of it, I think, is just helping parents slow down a little bit, breathe, and again, just reassure that we can get through this together. You know, your child is going to let you know what they need and want as long as you're talking with them in ways that foster that kind of communication. Yeah. And that seems really important. So, I mean, Everything you said totally makes sense about, you know, it's not like they're going to necessarily say at five years old, I'm gender fluid, but they might say, like you said, like, you know, I don't want to be called that or call me this or why can't I wear, you know, this or things like that. And I think it's like culturally in Western culture and European culture, it's pretty common for parents to just kind of like tell them, no, you're not or don't don't say that, or that's not for you. That's for this group. And really not necessarily even consciously thinking that they should have been paying more attention to what the child was really trying to let them know. Mm-hmm. But I think that that can yeah. probably do a lot of harm, even unintentionally. Yeah. And I think part of the reason why in, in our mainstream society, kids who are five aren't saying I'm gender fluid is because we're not teaching them from birth that there's all these different genders, right? Here's all these different words. Here's, here's different people that I personally know that you can grow up knowing who have these different gender identities, right? I feel like a lot of kids are in these kind of bubbles of I'm only growing up around people who are cisgender, who are straight, you know, and have these stereotypical gender 
expressions and nobody else is telling me about anything else unless that has like a negative connotation to it. Mm -hmm. So if I think part of what the book is talking about is that if we're actually raising kids from the beginning with, you know, teaching them about these things, then they will have more words and language earlier on to tell us how they feel. So for folks that I know were raising their kids that way, their kid may be able to say earlier on, hey, I I'm non-binary, you know, or, hey, I want this to be my pronoun, you know, because they knew that there's different pronouns that people use and things like that. Right. Just like if you tell your child there's boys and there's girls, then they're like, oh, which one am I? They can only, Mm -hmm. there's only two choices, right? Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. How did, how should parents teach their children that just across the board, whether your child turns out to fit into a binary or not, what language can parents use with kids? Yeah. That's not going to like overwhelm them, but just normalizing yeah. variety. I mean, I think there's things that you can do, for example, like when you're reading your kids a book, a story, I know right now, you know, my kid has all these board books, these baby books. They're all, you know, mostly written with like, this is a boy. He does blah, blah, blah. This is a girl. She does this. Here's the mommy. Here's the dad, you know? And so when I'm reading that to an infant, I can use different pronouns for different people. I can, you know, call a child in a book, a kid instead of girl or boy. I can, you know, use different words for the parents or the caregivers in the story. And I can do that as a way, not that I'm, you know, trying to just change the book, but as a way to introduce early on to my kid that there's different pronouns people have and use. There's different genders people have. Um, Because I also want to teach that I can't just look at a person and, that I don't know and know what their gender is. And so part of how we can practice doing that is when we're out and about, if we see somebody we don't know, or we talk to somebody we don't know, we can use gender neutral language mm-hmm. by saying like, oh, that person over there, you know, that person riding the bike or whatever it may be, and explain to our kid, I'm saying that person because I haven't talked to them and asked what their pronouns are or what their gender is. So those are just little everyday, you can just do that in normal conversation. And those types of things really help kids understand, okay, you know, and then they're going to have questions because they're going to be like, well, so-and-so at school says that, you know, there's only boys and there's only girls. And then that can bring up another conversation. Yeah. How would, how, how does a parent handle that conversation? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think you can say there's a lot of people that don't know still that there's a lot of genders. So some people still think that there's only two, but really there's, there's a lot. And there always has been a lot throughout history, but our schools and everything aren't teaching people about that history. So that's why people don't know. So that's a way to explain it. And sometimes kids also just ask things in different ways. Like another therapist friend of mine who had read the book reached out and was like, oh, I'm so glad I just read your book because my kindergartner the other day came home and said, um, what, what did the doctor say that I was? And the parents said, well, what do you mean? And the kid said, well, did the doctor say I was a boy or I was a girl? And the mom said, well, the doctor said this, but what do you think? We could have gotten it wrong. And so that, and the mom was like, I knew I could say that because I read that in the book. So those are just little like conversations that you might not be able to predict, you know, but you can kind of have some answers in mind for when those kind of questions come up from your kids.
Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience, and one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn. It's intuitive. The customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Yeah, it's really about kind of letting go of binary thinking and being open to whatever and being curious about whatever they're presenting. I don't know. When I was a kid in Virginia, I had a friend who when whenever we would play, the friend, my friend, a girl would say, I'll be um, Prince so-and-so and you be the like princess and I'll rescue you from the castle or whatever. So we're still doing gender, mm-hmm. <laughs> gender norm mm-hmm. play. But um, I didn't question, well, why are you being a prince if you're a girl? You know, I was a kid. I was just like, okay, mm-hmm. that's what you want to do. So, you know, it's, it's the adults who put these limitations on the natural curiosity and natural like openness, I guess, that kids just have. Yeah. I mean, the kids really understand this stuff really easily from what I've seen. It's, it's the adults that struggle with them more. And, you know, I also encourage adults to think about what their own relationship is to gender and how did they know what their gender was? Have they ever let themselves think about are the ways that I've expressed my gender throughout time? Does that feel true to me? Were there ways that I felt kind of boxed in, like I wasn't allowed to do certain things or look certain ways or act certain ways? Because sometimes adults haven't even given themselves permission to think about those things. I suspect that that might make it more difficult for those adults who haven't ever thought about that if their child is presenting a different possibility to them about the child that that's the kind of thing that makes the blind spots that make us react you know with that no there's two choices Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and I think helping parents and caregivers get to what is the root of the reaction for them you know is it fear of what other people are going to say or do about the family or about the kid is it trauma because a lot of people very young were punished for doing anything that was outside of stereotypical gender norms. And so if parents had that experience really young in childhood, they maybe quickly were like, okay, I cannot, you know, I have to be in this box and stay in it. And that's what you do to be safe and take care of yourself. And they could have suppressed that. And I I do see that and hear that a lot. Once we get into working with people on these things, I've, you know, hear lots of sad stories about the ways people were punished in early childhood for just trying to express themselves the way they wanted to. With what felt right for them. Yeah. Yeah. It is sad. And I know that Again, there's a lot of harm that can come from the boxes that culture puts us in. 
One of the things that you and I started to talk about a little bit before we started recording was that, and you mentioned this too, when you said that you were glad that more people are contacting therapists looking for how to support their child, that this has always been Mm -hmm. a possibility. The gender spectrum has always existed, but, you know, through culture, through history, Mm -hmm. it's some places and some cultures have completely wiped out the, the potential for considering anything but boy or girl. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's something that I talk to folks I work with about a lot and I wanted to put more of it in the book, but the publishers were like, this is going too, too much. We got to pull back. That'll be for the next book. Yeah. Another book. (laughs) Yeah. I guess a lot of people don't know that around the world, there have been most cultures have had multiple genders as part of the culture. Um, It could be three genders, four genders, five genders, many genders. And there have been some research studies that have been done that can directly tie the time period that a place was colonized, usually by European forces, sometimes even in more recent history by like U.S. imperialism, like U.S. military occupation of a place, that there's a direct correlation between when that happened and when that culture started to lose their reverence and valuing of multiple genders. So places that were able to go longer without being colonized, were able to retain their cultural belief system about many genders longer. And some still have retained it today. And so that's something that that history is definitely not taught in school. It's not something most people are learning about, but it we know, like we have lots of historical evidence. And again, some places today have always retained their belief system and their honoring of multiple genders. But to know that we've always existed and most people are coming from a lineage of people. And there was an intentional effort to wipe out that knowledge. And in, if we want to talk about Turtle Island, so North America, where we are calling from, talking from, that history, I think, was intentional as part of genocide, that two-spirit people and each tribe had their own terms for two-spirit people before colonization. Or if they didn't have a term, a lot of times it's just because everybody was just a person and you were just accepted. But but people, two-spirit people often held certain sacred roles, certain high positions, important roles within the tribe. And so in order for genocide to really be successful, those people had to be wiped out and removed. And also in order to be successful in genocide uh, positions, well, really the way that cultures uh, were organized in matriarchal ways, a lot of times, or matrilineal ways too, that had to be disrupted so that patriarchy could be put into place. And so all of that was really intentional and part of the overall plan. And again, this is a whole nother book, I guess, but it was also just a lot about land, taking land and power. And so I think one thing that I encourage anybody that I'm working with, whether it's a family, a child, an adult, but for that person to whatever their own cultural heritage is, if they know it, to learn about what their culture's teachings and knowledge was about gender, either before colonization, as far back as they can can go with learning. And 
then I try to also connect folks with people with shared cultural identities so that they can have these conversations and so that they can learn from people who maybe know a little bit more about that so that they can be in community with other people with shared cultural traditions. Because for a lot of people too, your gender and your culture can't be like two separate things. They can't be totally separated or understood in separate ways, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like they're they're tangled together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just saying that's, you know, that's why I think it's important to, for folks to learn about the history of gender as much as you can, and then connect with folks with shared identities to talk about what that means for you. Why is it important to talk with people with shared identities? I think sometimes it's because your family or you yourself may have different experiences based on those identities. You know, what I say a lot is that gender expansive people and trans people are not like a monolith group. It's not like a community. There's lots of communities And so it can be important to be able to be in relationship with people that go through similar experiences that maybe can help kind of work through some of the maybe cultural challenges that are there of, okay, what does this mean maybe for a role that I I might hold in the culture? And if that's changing, what is that going to be like? You know, how do we, I don't want to say recreate, but reimagine sometimes cultural roles that people have that may have been tied to different genders. Or if your gender, your understanding of your gender is different, how is that going to affect the things that you do culturally? So it's just good, I think, for people to have relationships where they can talk about that stuff. And sometimes people even, you know, form their own groups where they have cultural practices or spiritual practices, but they can also still be their full selves. Beautiful. You are you are so knowledgeable about this and <laughs> speak so easily about this subject. And I'm just really grateful that you are sharing your knowledge through your books, through coming on this podcast, and all the training and, and teaching that you do that is spreading this important information to as many people as possible. Because You know, it's just like you said, it's not that there is a new trend in young people. And I've heard some people say that, like, why is, why are so many kids now saying that they're trans or non-binary, gender fluid? It's like, we have to open up to be able to allow people to, it shouldn't be to allow, but by opening people naturally can just, you know, kind of blossom into all the full expression of themselves. And when we're closed, it's, it's the opposite. It's like, yes, and, you know, contracted. Yeah. And, you know, that's another thing I explain sometimes parents or just people that I talk with will say, you know, well, my kid doesn't need to know about all this stuff now, but whoever they end up telling me when they're older, you know, when they're grown or whatever, I'll support them, whatever it is then. And so with that, I try to help people understand that by taking that approach, you're kind of limiting the chances that your kid is going to feel like they can tell you who they are, or they can be whoever they are, because you're not from the get-go communicating, here's all of the people you might be, and I'm here for the journey of learning who that is, you know? 
and and I'm still learning too. And I'll say that, you know, I I do know a lot about a lot of these things, but I also am constantly learning. There is so much history to learn because we haven't been taught it. And so I feel like I'm on a lifelong journey with yeah. learning that language, you know, is informed by communities. And so language changes a lot. And, and so I have to try to keep learning those things too. And so I think that's another reason I stress with families, just the concept of humility that I know people raising kids get a lot of pressure to do it right, whatever that means, you know, and to raise good kids and whatever that means. So I know that there's that pressure there, but that pressure can sometimes make us think that we know the best thing for our kid or that we, we're the ones telling them what to do and they just need to listen to us. And if we practice humility, then we can admit we don't know everything. And then we can admit sometimes I probably am going to be able to see something that my kid, you know, needs to see, or I hope that they can understand. And then other times maybe they need me to learn something from them. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's like, we don't always have to be the teacher. We, our children mm-hmm. can teach us so much, mm-hmm. you know, and I was just struck when you were saying that about like parents feeling like we have, you know, we have to know everything and have all the answers and we have to be right. Just how much all parents want their children to be safe. Yes. And I think yes. that fear because of how our culture, this U.S. culture, Western European culture, European influenced culture, like is violent towards people who don't fit the acceptable group stereotype, whatever it is. And so parents are afraid at times that if their child mm-hmm. is in some way different, that they will be unsafe. Mm-hmm. And it's true that there is a lot of transphobic violence in our culture. And I think what you're doing is to change that for one, to just start from children's early years, educating parents about how to do things differently and be open and accepting and curious and mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one thing that I say in the book that one of my huge hopes for it is that people who read it will apply this stuff to all, all the kids that they're interacting with, because the other piece that can come out of that is that kids who are cisgender, they identify with the gender they're assigned at birth. And that doesn't change. That doesn't, their understanding is always I'm cisgender. Those kids can be raised to be affirming, compassionate of kids with other genders. And that decreases the level of violence that we see towards the trans communities and, and especially trans folks of color. So it's really, if we take this approach in raising kids, it really helps everybody, regardless of what their gender identity is. And I can, I have deep empathy for parents' fear of people hurting their child because of who they are. There is real risk, there is real violence. And we see this year, 2022, I think is the most anti-trans legislation that's ever been proposed in the United States across a bunch of states. So we see trans people being used as sort of a political like lightning rod, Mm -hmm. you know, to try to rile up, you know, and being used as pawns for that. And that's very hurtful to the people that experience that and that hold these identities. And so I empathize and I, I don't minimize parents' fear about that. And I encourage them that their kid is who they are. They're going to be who they are. And we can either make it easier for them to be who they are, or we can make it harder. 
and making it harder also has some really scary risks to it um, that can also end up in death and things like that. And so by making it easier for your kid to be who they are, you can tap into your own strength. You can call on your own support network and say, look, I need y'all to back me on this. I need your help. You know, I'm scared. Call on your village to show up for your family. And your kids seeing you do that gives them strength. And it gives them that sense of, I can make it through whatever comes my way with this. Because we also have to believe in gender expansive people's resilience, right? That we have always been resilient too. We have always been fierce. We have always fought for ourselves and we are not going to stop doing it. And we really want our families to do it with us. You know, we really want our families to be there with us in that and to love us and to love us for who we are, how we are and to be celebrated. That's celebrated, not tolerated, celebrated. Yeah, celebrated. Yeah. And I think I also try to encourage parents. They can feel the fear. And can you channel that? You know, with fear, there's usually also anger (laughs) that people are coming at my child for being who they are. Right. So how can you channel that into action for the sake of all trans folks, not just your own family? But I have seen a lot of family members really move into activism and advocacy because of their experience of their own child's journey. I'm so inspired by what you're saying. I really am. I mean, it's just beautiful and hopeful, very hopeful message and very like down to the core of what matters. So I'm just so so grateful for what you're doing. Yeah. And when families are scared, I try to help us ground in that too. Like life can be really short. You know, I think the older I get, the more I understand that so clearly. So in the big picture, if we really zoom out, what really matters, what really, really matters. We have one chance, one time period on this earth, and none of us knows how long it's going to be. So with that, what do I want my relationship with my child to be? And how do I want them to experience me as a parent when they're saying, this is who I am, whatever that, whatever that is that they're saying, but this is who I am. I think that's a great place to end because that's it. It's like, what really matters, you know, and what, you know, do you want the, I don't mean this in any kind of a shaming way, but when you're an ancestor, how do you want Mm -hmm. to be remembered? Do you want to be the one who brought change that was needed? Or do you Mm -hmm. want to be the one that stood in the way and made things harder that other people had to heal from? Yes. Yes. I love that. Me too. I think you just brought that right out of me. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So Tavi, I know that many people who are listening might be thinking if they're therapists, they might be thinking, can I consult with Tavi or, you know, where can I get this book? And is there training? And I know you do training. I'm in a a training that I know you, you lead a part of, which is the Shauna Murray Brown's decolonizing therapy. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's such a good one. Oh yes. So good. So where can people find what you're doing if they want to get in touch with you and and learn? and? Sure. They can email info at hantherapyandconsulting.com. I do offer a lot of different types of consulting. I work with organizations, sometimes on a long-term contract basis where we're working on a particular project or we're working to really do an assessment of the whole organization and then come up with changes that we want to make. I do group consults for therapists and mental health providers who are wanting to be trans affirming in their work. 
I do one-on-one consultations. Sometimes therapists just want to do, I have this one case I want to meet with you a couple of times about. So I do that. And then our practice, we have several different trainers in our practice and we offer a lot of different topics and trainings related to LGBTQ plus IA people, two-spirit people, anti-racist practice, a lot of different topics. A side fun thing that I also do is helping people design their practice spaces or their offices. So I have a little bit of a side interior decorator thing going on. (laughs) Yeah. And then the books, there is an author website, tabihan.com. People can find the books on Amazon, but there are also some local bookstores that are carrying them. And I encourage folks, if you have a favorite local bookstore, to just ask them to order a few copies because I really like to support independent booksellers when I can. Yeah. Okay. And that's T-A-V-I-H-A-W-N.com, right? Yeah, you got it. Okay. And then it was info at hantherapyandconsulting.com, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to put those in the show notes. And Tavi, thank you so, so much for bringing your wisdom to Therapy Chat today and, and teaching us and inspiring us. I'm, I'm very grateful and I've learned something and been very inspired. Shiki, thank you for having me. It's been really nice talking with you and I'm just really honored that you invited me to do this. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.